are listening to the Batflip Podcast, a baseball podcast from Belly Up Sports and the Belly Up Podcast Network. Here are your hosts, Damian and Matt. Welcome back, everyone, to the Batflip Podcast. My name is Damian here with my co-host, Matt. We are coming to you on November 16th of 2021. Uh, got a lot to cover on today's episode. We've had some pretty big free agents sign already. We've had a, a big extension happen this morning. Um, some rumors going around the uh, hot stove. Had the Mets finally hire their general manager. Uh, and then we'll hit on some of the awards winners that uh, have happened in the past couple days and look forward to the the Cy Young and MVP voting or awards um, that are going to be announced in the next couple days. But before we get into all that, how are you doing, Matt? I'm doing great. I've uh, just been uh, watching some watching some sports, uh, following the free agency baseball. Um, had a good weekend. I was out of town. I went to was down in uh, down in Auburn at the disaster of a football game they played, but it was still fun to be down there and all. And uh, yeah, I've been uh, been have been doing good. How about yourself? Yeah, I've been doing uh doing pretty good as well. Just you know, hanging out, watching uh watching some college football. It's getting late in the season for that, and then uh you know just paying attention to this this free agency market so far. It's been it's been one of the faster paced ones we've had in the last couple of years. So that's been uh pretty interesting. But we'll talk a little bit of why that is in, a, in just a little bit. But uh let's go ahead and jump in to our first signing that we had, and this was Eduardo Rodriguez. Um, signing a five-year, $78 million deal with the Detroit Tigers as an opt-out after two years. Yeah, I really, really, really like the signing, and um, and I like Eduardo Rodriguez a lot. He's a guy that, um, in his career, he's you know coming up since 2015, has gotten better every year. Um, in fact, his, his wins above replacement totals have increased every year. Um, in uh you know in 2015 he first came up he, he actually put up 1.8 that year then the very next year put up 1.2 but since then two he's been above a above a two war starter every single season he has a, a very good change up when it's own his strikeout rates have been have been really nice all above nine and a half for last five four years uh you know this past year at 10.56 was a career high career low walks this year um and really the thing that bit him was bad luck. He was one of the best starters in the league by, by FIP and by the metrics. Um, his expected ERA numbers even were at a 3.55, but um, playing in front of a very, um, we'll just say questionable defense in Boston, um, you know, and, and playing at Fenway Park as well, which is, you know, for some guys can be a really tough to pitch in with the, with the green monster and depending on what style of pitcher you are. Um, you know, he's, you know, it was a little bit of a, little bit of a struggle, but put up 157 innings coming off of a 2020, which he missed completely due to myocarditis that was brought on by COVID. So, um, very good to see him back. He, he actually only had a 474 ERA this year, um, which wasn't great, but, um, this is a guy who his stuff is there, the metrics are there and could be a very under the radar type signing. And I think his best, his best seasons are yet to come. Yeah, Eduardo Rodriguez, he's been a really good starter, like you said, throughout his career. Um, you know, and a lot of people will look at that ERA and say, well, he's 474 this year and, you know, a 416 on his career. But, I mean, if you look at, you know, his, his fit, you know, this year was a, a 332, and that, that plays to the, the terrible defense like you were talking about. And his ex-fit was a, you know, a 343 this year. So he's legitimately really good, and he's been somebody who's flown under the radar on that Boston rotation for many years because they've had – you know, guys like Chris Sale 
um, and Nathan Eovaldi pitch even better than he has, um, you know, above him in that rotation. But it's a really good signing for the Tigers, um, a young rotation that could use, you know, some veteran stability in Eduardo Rodriguez. And uh, another thing I noticed was that they only have like two right-handed starters. Um, and they're, a lot of their young guys are lefties outside of like Casey Mize. So maybe Eduardo Rodriguez will be that kind of veteran lefty that can teach those younger guys, um, you know, how to pitch or, or pitch types or, or how to shape stuff. You know, it could be a really, really good signing for to help develop those younger pitchers, um, you know, from how Eduardo Rodriguez has developed over his career learning from a guy like Chris Sale before. Yeah, and, and you know, you, you mentioned that too, and, and the fact that this, this is a very not – super crazy contract five years 78 million dollars that's nothing that if it doesn't go perfectly will handicap you uh in the future it's a contract that i mean you know it wouldn't it doesn't take it he could be a mid-rotation innings leader and you know not and not really improve at all from where he's at maybe not even be quite as good as he's been and it's still probably not a bad contract so um definitely something that you like to see from from the um from the uh, from the Tigers, a good start to their free agent, you know, their free agent uh, class this year, which, you know, as, as has been talked about a lot, the Tigers are going to be really active, and this is a great start for it. Uh, get the ball rolling, pick up a really good player, and not really, um, you know, not really handicap yourself on the ability to possibly pick up a, a you know, some of these really high priced free agents later on that, that has been that have been rumored to want to go there. So, um, definitely a very good, uh, very good signing and a good start for Detroit this off season. Yeah, it really is. And Detroit, you know, they surprised a lot of people this year with with some of that young talent kind of finally coming up. I mean, Tariq Skubal found his way a little bit. Casey Mize found his way. Um, and, and like they have been very aggressive in free agency before, but it, it seems like they're coming back on that, you know, that kind of train again after a couple of years of sitting out. Um, it, you know, they could have a really good offseason and, and be put themselves right into contention in that division in the AL Central, which, you know, we've seen like the Twins maybe start wanting to reset a little bit. The Indians already resetting some, or Guardians, sorry, that as official. That's not going to change for at least a year or two yeah. <laughs> for yeah. us. It's, we're yeah. going to keep doing it on accident. <laughs> well, did you see the part where they uh, like halted all merchandise sales that was supposed to happen because like there's a roller derby team in Cleveland that is called yeah. the Guardians? I saw that. They finally, they, 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 finally they, they settled, but yeah, they finally funny. settled today, but it's a, uh, anyways, that's going to take us a, a little while to get used to, but with them, the guardians resetting as well, you know, the white Sox are the primary team in there. Um, so if the, if the tigers have a big off season here, you know, maybe sign one of those high priced shortstops of the interest in Carlos Correa, even maybe even Trevor story. Um, and there's still talks about maybe another starting pitcher. I mean, they can vault themselves right into a, you know, a wild card spot or maybe even f for that division if the White Sox don't, uh, you know, don't be careful. Yeah, this is this this is really going to help the Tigers. They're, they're going to have to do a lot more to get into contention for the division over the White Sox. But I will say that I think that, you know, a couple more moves like even even without I think they're going to need the, the Correa plus depth type thing. Right. So Correa plus another pretty high level starter plus some really good kind of under the radar type guys for them to become a real contender uh in the division but you know from what i can tell right now i mean this looks like a team that could probably compete for the wild card with if they bring in a correa maybe or um or something like that so um you know depending on how the young talent does i don't know if they'll be deep enough really because i think I, I have a really high opinion of the white Sox still 
um, coming going into next year. So it's gonna be tough to catch them. But I I do like I, I do like the start for the Detroit, and uh, this feels a little bit like the Padres a couple years ago, where the real move is trying to go like two years from now type thing. They they're gonna make these you know signings while they can, and let them kind of be there, get some success going at the major league level, and get the get the success going with get those younger guys in with people who have been successful before and then really the the big you know the the big seasons that they're looking for like world series contention being two years from now probably so uh but i do like this move yeah really interesting start to the tigers offseason so we'll uh we'll see what they continue to do but let's go ahead and move on to our next one this is probably the most shocking thing that we're gonna have on this uh this episode this week, but that's Noah Syndergaard um, signs a one year or one year twenty one million dollar deal with the Angels, pending his physical. Yeah, so this is a really, really, really interesting move, um, and I think there's a lot to be said about this one. I, I, I can't decide whether I like it or not, and I don't think anybody's going to know how this move's going to go until I mean, or even have an idea until we see how Syndergaard looks in spring training. Because, I mean, he hadn't pitched in two years, really. He came back and pitched like two innings this year, just to get him, get him, get him back out there after all the work he did to, to rehab and, and be ready. But um, he's dealt with not just the Tommy John surgery, which is obviously a, a big deal, but you know other injuries too. So, um, you know, it's going to depend on how healthy Noah Syndergaard is um, and how much he gets his stuff back. So, I think in a vacuum. I think for the Angels, this is a great deal because, you know, his upside as a starter is the ace the Angels desperately need. I mean, if he comes back 100%, you're really getting a bargain at $20 million for him. And, you know, this is an immediate way to improve. And, and, and you know, the Angels, if it fails and he's not, you know, he doesn't come back 100%, then, you know, you're only paying for one year. So, you know, your books will be back open again next year. So I look at this as a pretty good move for the Angels. Um, you know, Noah Syndergaard is, I mean, like we said, just a, a stud pitcher. I mean, guy who, you know, for a little while before the injuries started to pile up was really had an argument as being maybe the best pitcher in baseball. 2016, pitched 183 innings, put up six wins above replacement, a 260 ERA, um, you know, high strikeout rates, doesn't walk many guys. I mean, it's, and he's got a rare blend of, of velocity and control that very few people have. So, you know, if he comes back and is healthy next year, um, I mean, you could see him be, you, you know, you could, you could see this be a move that really helps the angels, but if not, then, you know, it's a one year deal and you can just move on after. Yeah, I think the only weird part is that it was because he has the qualifying offer, so you're giving up a draft pick to sign him to a one-year deal. And that's very, very rare to see, um, especially with somebody who, like, if the why I, I said so much pending the physical, which all these deals are really pending physicals, um, is because Syndergaard made sure to do this. Um, he made his decision on Monday, so he can go and take the physical today and get the results on, on Wednesday before the qualifying offer deadline happens. So if he fails that that physical, he can easily take that qualifying offer for the 18.4 million from the from the Mets, have the, you know, try to pitch there this year and then come back with no year, next year with no draft pick compensation if he does pick well or pitch well. He can still do that with the Angels. It's just it, it's weird for them to to, you know, sign a pitcher who is 
has the qualifying offer attached to them and be willing to give up a pick for somebody that you're only signing for one year. And it could be a risk because, you know, you don't know what he quite is. You mentioned he came back and pitched. I think it was two innings this year. He threw like 25 pitches, but he didn't throw a breaking ball. He threw only fastballs. I think it was like 25 pitches is what he threw. And all of them were fastballs. So you really don't know how he's going to respond to, you know, a game situation with his breaking pitches. So it's going to be really interesting to see what, you know, what Cindergaard has and what, you know, if the Angels see his something maybe in the middle of the year, they try to talk an extension or something to, to lock him up longer term. Um, but it did seem like plenty of teams are interested in him at that one year deal. I mean, um, from reports, he had three uh, three offers at one for 21 and then another offer at one for 25. Um, so it, it is pretty interesting. Yeah. And, um, you know, one thing about um, about the, the qualifying offer is that this signifies, you know, one of two things to me. Number one is, uh, you know, I think Rosal Iglesias got a qualifying offer. So regardless of whether or not, you know, you sign if you know if you lose Iglesias and sign Cindergard, you still get you get that draft pick back. It's not quite as high of a draft pick, but you still get one back. And the other thing too is that the Angels might add more than just Cindergard. I mean, you know, they got a lot of money coming off the books this year. And I mean, there's other they could they could very well be in the market for like a Marcus Stroman or a Kevin Gossman or somebody. So I don't think this is the last move we we see hear about from the Angels because one of those two guys would be a really really nice addition for for the angels and really give them some rotation depth behind Otani and then they've got a couple of young guys who could maybe who will maybe step up like a, like a Detmers who's a guy that uh you know is a real high rated prospect that just came up this past year you could I think you could really see some some good stuff there in their rotation going forward um if they can maybe add one more guy through free agency or, or maybe even a trade too, but primarily I think they're free agency with the money that they have to spend. So it's going to be very interesting to see what, what the angels do going forward. But um, definitely this, this was a very interesting signing. And I think the, think that, uh, you know, this is one that could really go either way. It really could. And like you said, if they can build some, you know, if, if Syndergaard is back and Otani pitches the way he pitched this year, we know they have, you know, a good offense once Mike Trout gets healthy, once Anthony Rendon gets healthy, with Jared Walsh breaking out this year, with David Fletcher being a solid bat, um, and then, you know, whatever you can get from the rest of those guys, you just, you know, the, your issue was pitching. If you can get Otani, you get Syndergaard. If you can get another guy, you know, maybe that a lower tier two or, or three option, behind those two you, you know you could set yourself up for a playoff run even i mean the angels were a team we liked to really you know a lot last year and you know that we just said their big thing was pitching so if they can figure that out and sign another guy then you know be interesting to see what what uh what kind of uh what kind of uh what's what am i trying to say jesus i'm stumbling all over my stumbling like the mets gm search yeah i mean jeez, that's we'll get to that here in a minute but uh It'll be interesting to see what kind of noise they could make in that division. Is what I was trying to say. But anyways, yeah, no doubt. Let's uh, let's go ahead and move on. Uh, we'll go ahead and move to Jose Barrios. You know, we had just been traded last year from the Twins to the Blue Jays at the deadline. He ends up signing a seven-year, one hundred and thirty-one million dollar extension with Toronto, with an opt-out after the fifth year. Um, there are some escalators in that, which we don't quite know what those are exactly. Um, but he also gets a limited no trade clause. Yeah, so uh, Jose Barrios is a, a pretty good pitcher. Um, you know, we've seen him be 
primarily the, his biggest strength has been his durability. Uh, 2018, 192 innings. 2019, 200 innings. Um, you know, last year was obviously the shortened season, but uh, he was one of the higher up uh, in the, in the league and innings in the shortened season. And then this year, 192 innings again. So this is a guy who's thrown a lot of innings and he actually really had his best career season this year. Everyone's always liked his stuff, but, um, you know, a 347 fit, 352 ERA, um, strikeout rate, uh, second highest of his career. And, and that's just to the 2020 shortened season. His waltz were the lowest in his career, um, getting ground balls at the best clip of his career. Uh, he had a he did a, he did a very good job this year. Um, this is a guy with a fantastic breaking ball, um, and he's somebody who, you know, maybe a little bit like Eduardo Rodriguez, maybe the best that's yet to come with him. And um, you know, they get they lock him up. Now his his overall numbers, you know, he's a four he's an over four ERA guy um, so far in his career. He's just he's really been a mid rotation starter, uh, probably a three or probably a number three throughout his career. He's not really an ace at, at this stage. Um, so, I mean, you know, he probably doesn't have quite the upside of, you know, even of, of a Noah Syndergaard maybe, or um, somebody like that. Or, or maybe you look at Marcus Stroman or even Eduardo Rodriguez is having a tiny bit more upside. But he's a guy that um, obviously the Blue Jays really like. They gave up a lot for him. And, you know, the, now we know why they give up so much for him. They really like him, and they think he's going to be part of their future. They were able to get him an extension under what I feel like could be a pretty team-friendly deal. Uh, seven years, 131 million. If he hits his, you know, if he if he really does hit his stride over the next few years, that, that could end up being a pretty good deal. And he and he's also young still. He's 27, so that deal will only go through, I believe, his age 34 season. Yeah. So, um, I mean, that's you know that that's not a very old pitcher, you know, at 34. I mean, he could probably, he probably won't be completely useless at the end of that deal. So that's one of the things you maybe see from some of the, um, some of these long-term pitcher deals where, you know, they're going to be really good for a couple of years, most likely, but by the end of the deal, they're probably useless. Um, that's not going to be the case here. So, uh, or at least it, you know, it could be, but it's, it's not as likely. So, um, I think the Blue Jays probably just locked up a number two, number three starter for the next seven years on a, fairly relatively cheap deal um not not a super cheap deal but not not too bad so um i like what they did here and i think uh, you know we've talked about before that they were going to emphasize pitching and uh you know they re-signed one of their guys from this year that that's done well so i think um it's a very good sign for them yeah on a deal like you said it it's not too terrible you know money wise it's 18 million dollars a year um, for the type of production that you're going to get out of him, it's it's pretty t- like reasonable. And then, you know, once you look at the way that the market's looking right now, where the the top pitchers on the market are, you know, looking for thirty thirty million plus per year, you know, and you got just locked up a guy who is really solid. And even after he got traded to Toronto, you know, he even unlocked a little bit of another gear. The ERA doesn't look so great, but if you look at his FIP, I mean, his FIP was a three twenty eight when he went to Toronto um, in his uh, how many games in 12 games, it was a 328. His walk rate was the lowest uh, at any point. I mean, it is a small sample size, but it, it was a, a marginal gap that he can have his strikeout rate even ticked up more than it's ever been in his career. Um, so it could be something that, you know, maybe they found just a little something else and, you know, maybe one of his pitches, one of his, you know, the way his delivery or just something, that you know maybe he can unlock that other level because I think he could be a you know a 
high two, maybe a, a high three, high two guy in a rotation, and then you get another, you know, ace level guy, and you know, you go on like that. But I mean, at eighteen million dollars, I mean, that's kind of what you would expect for a number two guy in a rotation. You know, they still have Hunjin Ryu, who's making twenty million right now, who's their ace. And if they want to re-sign Robbie Ray, you know, that's going to cost them. I mean, it's going to cost them more than Barrios or more than Ryu to re-sign Ray right now. I mean, you're probably looking at twenty-five ish a year to get Robbie Ray back. So, you know, it's a really good deal, I think, for Barrios. Like you said, locks him up to through age 34 season. He's not going to be totally useless. Um, and it's a good price for the Blue Jays that they don't have to really worry about, you know, oh, this contract's going to hurt us too bad, um, you know, year in and year out to, to the luxury tax. Yeah, absolutely. I think this is a, a pretty decent deal, on, and really on both sides. So, Yeah, it really is. Uh, well, we had another smaller move happen, and that's Manny Pena signs a two-year, uh, or yeah, two-year, eight million dollar deal with the Atlanta Braves. Yeah, so uh, Manny Pena is a guy who I think this is a pretty, pretty nice signing for the Braves because if you remember this past year, part of their struggles during the regular season uh, for for a while were due to a lack of production at the catcher position after Travis Darno went down with injury and. Travis Darno is a you know thirty plus year old I think he's thirty three or thirty four year old catcher and you know he's dealt with the injury he's also not a fantastic defensive catcher and when he went down the Braves either had to bring in a rookie who really wasn't ready especially for defensively playing catcher in the big leagues or just a hodgepodge of veterans that were either just not good at all anymore or you know, we're just basically AAA players throwing in, thrown into the major league level. Like, I mean, the list of catchers the Braves had this year included Stephen Vogt, Jonathan Lucroy, uh, Kev, um, Kevin Smith. I mean, it was it was not pretty. And um, I think that uh, Jeff Mathis was another one. And I think that um, you look at the the Braves and the the ability to you know, have a little bit more depth. The catcher position is, is really important. And uh, Manny Pena is a guy who he's a very good defender as a catcher. Um, not a great offensive player, but he does have some things that make you believe a little bit offensively. He's not a, just a terrible hitter. Um, you know, this year he hit 13 home runs. He only hit 189, but he actually had a 162 Babbitt. His plate discipline numbers were the best of his career this year. So that was pretty encouraging to see. Um, and, and this is not really a guy you expect to be some kind of, you know, star hitter or anything, but if he can be a adequate, an okay hitter and be a good defensive catcher to back up Travis Darno, you know, if, when Travis Darno needs a day off, be able to do that and, and, and be successful as, as a, you know, guy to fill in when, you know, if Travis Darno gets hurt, you know, be able to handle everyday duties for a little while. Um, and, and also, you know, help with the pitching staff, which does include still some young pitchers, you know, you still got a young Ian Anderson in there. You've got a few triple a guys who have been, you know, up and down from back and forth for the big leagues. You know, this is a veteran catcher and the presence should help too. So um, I definitely think Manny Pena was a pretty good signing for the Braves. It's real cheap. I mean, it's two years, $8 million. So you're not really going to give up too much money with that. And uh, I, I liked it. Yeah. $4 million for a, you know, a really good defensive backup catcher. Um, who's not, you know, a totally useless at the plate. I mean, his career WRC plus is 91. I mean, you, there's some catchers, you know, that's, I mean, that wouldn't even hit that as a starting catcher, 
you know, at some places, but it's a really solid deal. Like you said, really good defender that can come in and you're not losing much. Um, you know, you're gaining a lot defensively and you're not losing much offensively. Um, and maybe they can do something with, uh, like how the giants did and give Darno a couple extra days off here or there just to kind of, you know, keep him fresh a little bit more, um, and maybe stay away from those injuries as much. So a really good deal, really solid deal and, and relatively cheap for a backup catcher. So, but, uh, let's go ahead and we'll just note one, one thing that we, uh, you know, has been said since the last episode and it's about how the, the free agent market is, how it's actually moving a little bit faster this year, just because of the potential of that lockout and some players want to get, you know, their deals in place. So they don't even have to worry about how long that extends. And then, you know, maybe having to sign a deal in February and not being able to find housing and all that. But um, two players that were mentioned, two high-profile players that were mentioned that, uh, you know, the markets are moving pretty fast on and that could sign before the, you know, December 1st deadline are Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon. Yeah, so um, both of those guys, um, you know, obviously are going to be two of the higher, more prized free agents. Uh, Marcus Simeon is a MVP finalist, so he he's not – I'm – highly doubt he wins because Otani's in there, but, um, tomorrow that'll be announced tomorrow night, but he's a, um, you know, he's a, he's a great shortstop and, or potentially, you know, second baseman or, or whatever they want to play him at on the infield. And he's a guy that, you know, I think is a good, good deal. And, and Corey Seager, you know, same thing. I mean, very good player. And, you know, I think it's a good thing. These guys are going to, for, for these guys to sign pretty fast. Um, I think that sometimes, teams or, or players wait too long to sign because they want to be that last guy on the market and that desperation kind of gets in sets in for teams as oh we got to if we're going to sign somebody we got to sign this guy type thing and uh that that hadn't worked out especially well i mean a lot of players have gotten stuck in been you know getting closer to the season and not even having a deal at all i mean you look at you know last year yasiel puig didn't have a deal going into the season and he hadn't played in the big leagues again you look at um, – I think there was, there was also something else that happened after that. that I don't recall exactly what happened. It might have been some kind of legal thing with him. But um, you have, um, you know, Craig Kimbrell did this a couple of years ago where he kind of got stuck. He was the best reliever on the market. He kind of got stuck, and he ended up not signing until midseason, and it really cost him a year and a half of good baseball by, by doing that. And then you look at um, – you know, even even guys like like Bryce Harper, he waited a long time to sign. He signed like I think it was during spring training, and his first year with the Phillies was not all that good. And you see now he's really regained his MVP form, but it's been you know that's been kind of tough for some of these players that have waited too long and they've they've struggled at times. So I think um you know it'll be a good thing for for Seager or Simeon to go ahead and make their move. Um and um you know I think teams would be wise to go ahead and shore up too before the before the uh, before the whole CBA stuff goes down, so um, they kind of know what they got for for next year. They they get everything kind of set up pretty well. So um, you know, the last thing I'd want is to be in limbo, you know, three weeks before the season when they say, oh yeah, the CBA is resolved now. So um, it on, on either side. So I, I think this is a good thing. Yeah, and especially you know those two players in particular being a part of that big shortstop market you know, really wanting to kind of jump that market and, and kind of set the tone for it, 
you know, you're going to have guys like Correa and Story who are probably waiting longer, you know, to see where these people go and, and what teams will, you know, have a fallback option and kind of go to them and say, all right, well, you know, give me the biggest money now and start their contract talks at whatever these guys get. You know, Story's probably going to be tried to get a deal more in line with what Simeon does and beat him. And then Correa, you know, is going to want a deal bigger than Seegers. So they're, you know, for these guys to kind of jump the market before the whole thing and, you know, avoid that lockout and then, you know, maybe push those guys to, you know, wait. And then after they, maybe they have to deal with the lockout as well, you know, because they want to get the biggest money, you know, they can get over these guys. It, it there's a slippery slope. And like you said, it's cost a lot of players, you know, as of recently um, with trying to wait too long. And I just think with this whole lockout thing, there's been a lot of rumors about how it's probably the worst that it's been in 20 years, 30 years with baseball and that, you know, it could go into a lengthy delay here and maybe even push back the start of the season. I think that could push a lot of people to want to get a deal done before that, uh, that deadline. So it's going to be really interesting to see, you know, not only these people, but what are the names that we're not quite hearing yet that a deal can come together really fast. You know, we didn't hear much about Eduardo Rodriguez's deal or, you know, he didn't even be in any interest in him until the night before. I mean, there was one, you know, I think it was John Heyman the night before said that talks with Eduardo Rodriguez are heating up. I went to bed and then I woke up and he had a deal with the Tigers the next morning. And it was just like that fast. Usually you hear, hey, it's he's it's heating up and, you know, look for him to sign in the next week. Um, but maybe you see these deals start happening a lot faster and, and people are signing you know, really quick and you're not being able to hear as many rumors per se. And the deals are just coming together a lot, you know, really fast for them um, before that deadline. So it's going to be interesting to see as we lead up with, I think just a couple of weeks before that. Yeah, no doubt. And, um, you know, I think some other guys that could maybe go pretty quick. I think, I think, you know, the way that the Braves operate, I think there's a chance that Freddie Freeman randomly gets his extension. Like they seem, seems like it's very difficult for people to get, um, info from the from the Braves front office they're very secretive um I think that's a team I think you could see obviously these two guys um I could see maybe a you know like a uh, like a Kevin Gossman or somebody get signed um just because I feel like you know I feel like that's kind of a guy who's kind of quiet and and he's kind of you know not you know I I think some of the guys I think like a Correa or a Stroman might be ones that wait a little bit longer some more outspoken players who, you know, I think are, I think they're just, their attitude's a little bit different, but um, we'll see what happens. I think it'll be exciting to see what, um, you know, what some of these guys end up doing uh, and when they sign. Cause I, I think there's so many players this year and that could happen at any moment with, with a lot of them. So. Yeah, you really can at any time, but um, let's go ahead and move on to uh you know, to the joke you made a little bit earlier, and that's about the New York Mets general manager job and having been turned down by pretty much everyone. I think at this point, I mean, I think even we turned them down when we weren't even given an offer. Um, we still pulled our name from the running from it. But uh, the uh, the New York Mets ended up hiring former Los Angeles Angels manager Billy or general manager Billy Epler as their new GM. Yeah, so Billy Epler started off as the assistant GM of the New York Yankees from 2012 to 2014. Then he became the GM of the uh, Los Angeles Angels in 2015. And this is a guy that, uh, you know, he was a scout for a long time, uh, worked with the Rockies. Um, 
and he then he obviously worked with the Yankees, uh, worked in Tampa for a little while. All right, sorry, he worked, he worked in Tampa for the Yankees. Um, and, um, you know, he's made some pretty good signings in his career. Um, but, you know, some of the signings he's made <laughs> were, were not – they were high profile, but just not great. Um, here's a list of, of players that they signed – while he was scouting professional players, you know, for potential free agent contracts and stuff. This is the list. Bartolo Colon, who I don't think was all that impressive with the uh, with the Yankees. Eric Chavez, not the same thing. Uh, Russell Martin, who I think had his worst seasons with the Yankees. Andrew Jones, who was definitely not the same player that he had been before due to injury. Um, when he got there, Freddie Garcia never was the same. I mean, he, he is not did not have a great reputation or he had not had a good reputation. He did not have a great resume there. And then he went to, uh, you know, with the angels. I mean, they've really struggled since he's been there. I mean, he's, um, I mean, they, they, they just really haven't done all that well now, you know, they did obviously, um, you know, sign Mike Trout to the long extension while he was there. Um, and they, brought in Shohei Otani while he was there as well, which a couple pretty good ones, but same time they, you know, they made sign Justin Upton to a big contract and Anthony Rendon got that huge contract, which so far has been a pretty much a disaster. It might change. And, uh, they also made the Angleton Simmons trade while he was there. So, um, you know, and he got fired from the angels in 2020. I, I don't, especially see where this guy's resume has been all that impressive. He might be real well-respected. I don't want to, you know, hate on somebody and it might be a better fit with the, with the Mets, but um, I don't especially think that he's been all that impressive in his career as a, as a, you know, a, as a, as a general manager or, or anything. And he seems like a major fallback plan for just to get somebody with some experience that, you know, the Mets have not even, They've been turned down by tons of guys, tons of people so far. So um, it sounds like um, he's got an idea of a couple candidates for for the opening of manager, which you know Luis Rojas was let go not long ago, and it sounds like his two main main people that they focused in on are Brad Ausmus and Buck Showalter, which very interesting. Buck Showalter hadn't managed in a while. Um, you know, seems that seems a little bit more of like a Tony Larusa type higher than anything else, but I mean, I think Buck Showalter does have a little bit better reputation with players today, and um, that than Larusa does, and maybe just a little bit different. But um, and then Brad Ausmus, you know, was let go by the, um, you know, by the Angels, or which was kind of brought on more by the manage by the, by the uh, management than it was by him. So it'll be interesting to say to see what's going on. Um, I'm not. If I was a Mets fan, I would definitely give the guy the benefit of the doubt and say that there, you know, there's a lot of different variables to be in a GM um, in, in baseball. I mean, you got different owners to deal with. You got different, you know, different circumstances. Um, there's a lot of moving parts to it. And we've seen guys that failed one place be very successful in other places. But I don't know if I would be all that excited about somebody who, you know, came into a situation with the best player in baseball and, you know, possibly the best player in baseball since Barry Bonds on your team, plus a good group of young core players with him uh, that was coming off a season in which they, you know, were in the 
you know, coming off a couple seasons in which they were in the playoffs and not just in the playoffs, but really comp- contending in the playoffs and, um, you know, and then go and then have the seasons that they've had, even with the probably the best player, the best player of the last decade in baseball on your team. I mean, I just I think that's kind of. I don't think that's a great sign for the, for the, for the Mets, but we'll see what happens. It'll be interesting for sure. Yeah. Another name that you didn't mention that they had kind of been mentioned in their, uh, you know, their possible manager um, search was also Eric Chavez. And like you said, he admit he had signed him with the Yankees. Um, and actually when he started developing his own analytics department, he brought in Eric Chavez as a, you know, a special assistant to the angels um, after he was working with the Yankees. So you know, he does have a good reputation with Eric Chavez and, and a good understanding of who he is. So that could be another name. You know, him and Osmus um, are kind of the two front runners, I would think, even over Showalter just because of the connection with Epler. Um, and maybe even Osmus because he has some, you know, some history of managing at least. But it, you know, it's also going to be really hard for Epler coming into this situation right now because it seems like the Mets are just a fire, you know, you know, a, a dumpster fire at this moment. Um, you know, Steve Cohen's been pretty outspoken. Players have been pretty outspoken um, about a lot of things. And then, you know, coming into the middle of an off season that you might have a work, you know, a work stoppage. It's like, it, it just doesn't seem like it's a great situation to jump into this year. Um, you know, and being, I think he was what, probably the, the 20th different option that they had. I mean, it, it seemed like everyone under the sun kind of had turned down the even opportunity to interview for the Mets just because they knew it was going to be, you know, this big dumpster fire. Um, you know, he did bring in some talent when he was in Anaheim. You know, he did have Mike Trout, but then he did bring in Shohei Otani. He did bring in Anthony Rendon, which at the time we thought was a really good signing. You know, he, Andrew Elton Simmons was a decent player. You know, he didn't have the greatest offensive thing, but he's a great defensive shortstop. Justin Upton, you know, he signed him to that big extension, but he played relatively well before that. You know, I think his big pit downfall had been basically just not the development of pitching. He just never was able to develop pitching, and he was never able to really bring in many free agent starters, um, you know, to, to make that a destination spot in, in a place like Anaheim where, you know, it's close to L.A. and it should be, you know, one of the destination spots. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see what he can do with the Mets in that area who are, are pretty well, you know, equipped offensively. They still do have, you know, some good offensive firepower, but their rotation is a question mark now. You know, DeGrom is DeGrom, but he started battling injuries this year. He's also starting to, you know, he's in his 30s. Maybe not as many innings on the arm, but he's still starting to get it up into his middle 30s. Um, you know, Cindergard, it seems like he wanted to get out of there. You have um, Stroman, who's a free agent at this point. You're going to have Carlos Carrasco and, and Taiwan Walker, but those guys really seem to struggle. You know, Carrasco all year. Taiwan started the year pretty decent, but, you know, started to struggle after that. So it's going to be really interesting to see what Epler can do, you know, not just this offseason, because I'm kind of kind of give him a wash this offseason because of it coming in already. I mean, what we're already, you know, a week into the offseason, really, but he's not really having time to, to do anything, you know, to build the relationships with the players. He's got to try to jump in. He's been working as an agent um, this past year anyways. Um, so maybe he has a little bit of an understanding of what the market kind of looks like anyways. But you know, with a potential work stoppage and then the way that the whole, you know, aura seems around the Mets right now, I think it's really going to pick up to what he can do, you know, next off season. 
uh, you know, starting from next offseason or maybe even in the middle of the season at the deadline and seeing what direction he takes this team in. Um, and maybe that's even going to be a start with which kind of a manager he hires. You know, if he hires a guy like like a uh, Brad Osmus or an Eric Chavez, maybe that's more of a slow play. Um, and maybe get those guys where if you get a guy like Buck Showalter, you know, he's going to want to compete, you know, right now. And, and I'm not sure the Mets are really set up at this moment with Epler coming in right now to, you know, to be a, a full on competitor. Yeah. I mean, it, the thing that worry that would worry me if I was the Mets is that you had the aura around them. Like, like, like you said, is, is awful. And, and I mean, it, I don't think people realize how, I mean, you've got the, you've got the owner, the Mets own Twitter calling out his players, calling them trash and asking how you, how you possibly have as horrible of an approach as they have. I mean, that to, if I was a player to me, I would, I would not even want to go near that team. Like it just seems like a, I mean, it just, it just seems like, it just seems like an absolute dumpster fire. And then you talk about, you know, they get turned down a bunch. Then Sandy Alderson has this press conference where he's saying, oh, the reason they were getting turned down is because people don't want to work in the city of New York because there's pressure. It's like, I mean, I, I don't – I mean, I, I really think it's uh, – I really think the Mets are in trouble, um, you know, when it comes to – I just – I have a hard time believing the Mets are going to get the type of people in there that can establish a winning culture with this group. Now, you know, maybe they do. They've got talent. I mean, they you know you're sitting there. You got Francisco Lindor. You've got you know Jacob Degrom, who's probably the best pitcher in the game when he's healthy. I mean, you've got a lot of good players there. I mean, Brandon Nemo's a pretty nice piece. Pete Alonso. Maybe Pete Alonso. You might get a nice bounce back from like a Jeff McNeil, maybe, or JD Davis, or somebody who spent part of the year injured and you know never got to 100%. You know, so there's pieces to like there, but. At the same time, you're in a situation in, in New York where, I mean, it, it's it could be it could be pretty rough there, you know. And, and I don't think that I think that you know they're going to have to work really hard to get the right type of players in there to, to really help that franchise right now. So um, I don't think that the owner ownership is helping very much, other than just increasing payrolls helped for sure. But other than that, I don't really think they've done too much good for them. And the, and I don't think that the previous, you know, GM and, or, or president or whatever, whatever Sandy Alderson's title is, I don't think that he's really done all that much to, to help them. And, you know, I don't know if Billy Epler is somebody that can come in and really change things too much. He might, he might be able to do some good things for them and help them, but I don't know if he's really the guy that's going to move the needle for them so it'll be interesting to see for sure and um you know i, I just i kind of disagree i think this offseason is important because you got a lot of money has having come off the books i mean conforto's gone you know uh you got the, the Baez is gone um you talked about stroman's gone senior guard's gone that's a lot of money tied up in those guys through arbitration that you're gonna you, you now have that money to spend on top of a potential increase in the payroll that they might have. I don't know if that's the case for New York, but uh, for the Mets, uh, but, but I think that that's an important thing to look at as well. So, I mean, they, there's a lot of money off the books and they need to spend it on somebody. Cause I mean, you've got the defending champs in the division. You've got a team that's, that's got some good pieces, you know, including the possible NL MVP on their team in there. You've got a team that's got probably, 
probably one of the better rotations in baseball and and a lot of young pieces to, to maybe add to their big league uh, team from, you know, the pool of young prospects and stuff in, in Miami. I mean, yeah, you know, the Mets are in a situation where they really need to do something this offseason to, to keep pace. So it'll be interesting to see. And, uh, you know, I think it's, um you know, I think it's a big deal for them to have a good offseason. So. Yeah, it might it might be a big deal for them to have a good offseason, especially knowing the type of you know person what we've seen this year of what Steve Cohen is, um, and how he wants to win at, at all times. I just don't know how much you know this offseason is already going to have have been affected and put Epler behind the eight ball, um, you know, because it's already in the middle of the offseason. You know that most people hire their general managers before the World Series or right around the World Series ending, so they can get basically the full reign of the offseason, talk to their own free agents you know, their own players, free agents, and then go into the market with the full understanding of what those players are looking for and, and what they're not. I mean, you know, you just signed Epler yesterday and then Syndergaard's off the, you know, already off the, off the, uh, the market. It seems like Strowman's already kind of signaling that he might be gone as well. It, it, it and then, you know, with the potential work stoppage coming up in you know, in two weeks, I mean, how much time is Epler going to have to really get in with these free agents and work on trying to get these deals done, you know, with just being hired yesterday or, or, or something. It, it's just, I don't know quite how much he's going to be able to do in that time. And if that stoppage happens, you know, it's going to affect this offseason big time, even more for the Mets than it will for many other teams because they were so late to the party of hiring their general manager. Yeah. But, and one thing I will say about it too, the, with this situation is that I don't think that, I think that Sandy Alderson's contributions to their offseason are are already are, are going to be large. I, I think that he's really in charge right now, and Billy Epler is going to take a little bit of time get get to learn the the reins and everything of it. But I really think that I don't I don't know how much this offseason will be on Epler. I think Sandy Alderson will have a lot to do with what happens in this offseason and who they sign and well, you know yeah, what but... what moves they make. So I think that's. I think that they've got a plan that they're going to have Epler try to put in place already. I think it's kind of a well, and that, kind of and the deal there. That's why I said I think his, you know, the real start for him is next offseason. You know, Alderson could be doing this stuff, but I think the real start for Epler is going to be which next offseason, you know, when he has the full year into the job and what he can do, where this one will be more of what Alderson does. So, anyways. Uh, you know, let's go ahead and talk about the uh, the rookie of the year and the manager of the year awards that have been announced already. Um, and then we'll hit on our, our Cy Young and our uh, MVP picks. But um, the rookie of the year voting went pretty much how I expected it to go. And that was with Randy Rosarena winning the rookie of the year on the American League side. Um, and then Jonathan India winning it on the National League side. Yeah, so, um, you know, no surprises there. Um I thought there was an outside chance you could maybe see the AL one go to Franco because of all the prospect hype he had, but it ended up just being the fact that over the season he he didn't play as much as many games as a Rosarina who who had a good season. Um, regardless of, I, I mean, I think Franco was better when he, when he played, but I think Rosarina had a had a good enough season to where that that volume of having the whole season really really helped. Uh, and then you look at uh, you know, Jonathan Indy as a guy who. I mean, he was very good for the for the Reds. Um, you know, really kind of won it off of by default. Trevor Rogers missed a little bit of time, although he definitely had an argument for it. Um, so I, I think that the, I think I mean it went kind of as expected for sure. 
Yeah, and, and I just expected a Rosarina to be able to win it because Franco didn't have as much time. Um, you know, I, like I had said in, in last week's episode, if Franco had come up maybe a month sooner, he wins this award hands down. I mean, he had, you know, the, the better stats, but it just he didn't have how long the stats were on there. Um, and India, I mean, I, I think he deserved it all the way. I think he ended up getting like 29 of the 30 first place votes anyways. Um, so he had a, a really great season and, and not, no you know dig at Trevor Rogers, but I just think India was just that much better um, than, than you know everyone else that was in contention for the rookie of the year. So, uh, you know, those were the awards we kind of, or the rookie of the year, we kind of expected it to kind of go that way. Um, you know, you could have flipped a coin between a Rosarena and Franco, but um, just the, you know, having them more time this year, I think just lended a Rosarena's hand a little bit. But uh, let's look at the manager of the years where we had Gabe Kapler win it for the San Francisco Giants in the National League and Kevin Cash of the Tampa Bay Rays win it in the American League. Yeah, so, um, I mean, uh, first off, Gabe Kapler was fully expected. I think that he was um, obviously the the pick in, in the National League. I mean, um, you know, the Giants went from a team that was really not expected to do too, do too much, and the management style of Gabe Kapler really lends to the – manager having a lot more influence on games by the fact that he's you know picking and choosing his um you know his spots and doing a lot of tactical stuff that shows up during you know on game days during games um you know i think that was really important in that and you know the fact that um you know i think there's a lot more of management that goes down behind the scenes that you know, is not really seen by people in the media voting for manager of the year type stuff. So I think the award's not super typically accurate as who the real best manager was. But I think that it was, uh, I think that Gabe Kapler should have gotten a lot of credit and he did. And then in the American League, I thought Kevin Cash was really interesting. Um, I, I, was, I was real surprised at what uh, service from, uh, from Seattle. Um, and I was really surprised that Alex Cora wasn't a finalist for the award you know, after, you know, year one, you know, his last time he was there, it was a, you know, World Series championship. Then they had the one year he wasn't there. They were completely awful. And then he comes back and they're good again type thing for Alex Cora. So, um, you know, I thought that, that was a interesting that, that he wasn't a finalist. But, but I mean, Kevin Cash, I'm going to defend it, but, you know, real quick. A, a lot of people are really trashing, giving it to him, but – this is a Rays team that lost their two best pitchers from last year. They lost Charlie Morton. They lost Blake Snell. Um, you know, then they also lost some pieces in their lineup from last year. And Hunter Renfro, uh, you know, they, they they he was he was one of their better bats last year. They lost him. They lost a couple other guys who are a little more under the radar. But um, you know, they still kind of turned it into a you know a. a uh, you know, the best season they've ever had at a hundred wins. And obviously, you know, you talk about the postseason and they didn't make it as far, but you know, this is a regular season awards. So, you know, they took a roster that was probably an 80 win roster to a hundred wins. So, um, and the fact that they did, you know, win their division, which was probably the toughest division in baseball this year. Um, you know, obviously, you know, the, the Mariners really outperformed, overperform but they were also in a weaker division you know their competition really i mean the astros are really good but but they they're the a's are you know just okay and the the rangers not very good so um you know their competition wasn't quite what the al east is 
you know, with the four teams that won 90 games. So I think, um, I think it was very, a very good, I, I think it was very good. It very well could have given it to Scott service, but I mean, and it probably, it, it maybe should have, but I, I, I don't, I don't want to trash the giving it to, to Kevin cash. So. Yeah, I think the, the you know the National League one with Gabe Kapler that was pretty much expected. Um, like you said, they they did he did a great job, and he's kind of revitalized himself after you know his bad stint in Philadelphia, and and you know even g- getting hired by San Francisco, there was a lot of bad rap to that. Um, you know, and then last in the 2020 season, they kind of underperformed, and people were like, well, it's just kind of typical Kapler a little bit. Um, and then you know this year when nobody even thought they had a chance. And now that they, you know, have, you know, the best season, the best team in baseball, you know, he's kind of showing himself, you know, as the manager that, you know, many teams thought he was. I mean, he was the other finalist for the Dodgers manager job when they hired Dave Roberts, Um, you know, and then, you know, there was a good, there was strong talk about him, about him being the guy there and and that he was going to be a, you know, a star manager. Then he goes to Philadelphia struggles. And then now with the Giants, he's starting to revitalize that. so really good season for Kapler, and I think that was you know pretty much expected that he would win this award. You know Kevin Cash winning it, I wasn't a big fan of him winning it. He should have been a finalist, um, but like you said, I, I Cora and Scott Service they should have been one and two in my opinion. Um, you know even with trading Blake Snell and, and losing Charlie Morton, and I mean even you didn't even mention losing Glass now in the middle of the season who was having a great season at the time. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know. They still had a really good. They still had a lot of the players that had done really well for them. You know, you still had a Brandon Lau. You still had a. Um, you know, you had Randy Rosarena who went on that big run and led. You know, helped lead them to the World Series the year before. They still had Austin Meadows, who even though he struggled, they still had him. You know, Mike Zunino's been Zunino's been really good. You know, you had the Wander Franco getting called up yeah. as a rookie. You gotta you gotta remember about Wander Franco though. They they had Willie Adamas and they traded him away. I, I understand. And, but it, and then you you know, you kinda had I get I get your point about that, but you also had two months of subpar shortstop production bef- between the trade of Adamas and the and the call up of Franco. So it's almost like losing a key player for two months, if that makes sense. No, I mean it, it doesn't really matter. I mean, we know at this point Kevin Cash is a good manager. I mean, he led them to the damn World Series the year before. You know, and really, I mean, they had a lot of this, the same people still there, like trading Willie Adamas, who even though he had, you know, he had good moments there. He was still a good player, especially on the road. I mean, it was just at home where he was really awful. But then you're bringing in a guy who everyone's comparing to be the next Mike Trout. I mean, yeah, that's a really good player that you added to your roster. You still traded for Nelson Cruz and, and brought that into your lineup. Like, it's not like, you know, he was working with a roster that, you know, with with the like the Seattle Mariners who nobody expected to be a good team. Like everyone kind of assumed like, OK, the Rays are still going to be a good team, even though they've traded these people like they always find a way to do that. You know, you look at the Mariners who had like, you know, they're trying to cast off Kyle Seeger. They're trying. You don't know what Mitch Haniger is going to get. You know, you're lo- you're you're not as high on a guy like JP Crawford. Ty France was there. Like who knew Ty France was going to be, you know, an above average player? Who knew Seager was going to hit over 30 home runs again? Who knew Mitch Haniger was going to have the year he had? And then still bringing up a guy like Kellenick who struggled a little bit but then found his way and that younger pitching staff like the, the I think the job that Scott Service did this year 
you know, blows what Kevin Cash did out of the water, in my opinion. And he should have been he should have been the manager of the year. And Cora should get a lot of you know a lot of talk as well. And he, he should have definitely been in there over Dusty Baker. Um, you know, and you could have argued if Cora or Kevin Cash, you know, who should have been second and who should have been third to to service. But you know, with not having a healthy Chris Sale, with you know the the questions around that rotation, you know, you had guys like Nick Pavetta and Garrett Richards in that rotation for you know a good amount of the season. Although you did get, you know, Nathan Yovaldi and Eduardo Rodriguez had good, good years, um, you know, but the, the horrible defense they had, the year J.D. Martinez kind of started to struggle at the beginning of the year and found it more later on. You know, I, I, I just think Cora did a really good job managing this year between that pitching staff and getting the most out of what those guys can do and handling that bad, you know, the bad defensive team that they were um, and, and being able to get you know, good offensive production, even though we know guys like a Devers and a Xander Bogarts and a, you know, JD Martinez are, are great hitters. You know, he still, he still did a really good job and, and I, I, you could battle which one was second and which one's third. Um, but he should have definitely been a finest uh, finalist over, you know, a guy like Dusty Baker. But I, I just think in my opinion, Scott service should have been the the manager of the year after the job that, you know, he did. I mean, people were talking about that team being a, a fourth place team coming into the year. And, uh, you know, and they went on to you know fight for a wild card spot right all the way up till the end, to, you know, the last day of the season with the with the Yankees and the Red Sox. Yeah, definitely interesting stuff. Um, you know, uh, real quick before we before we finish this one up, uh, we do have the other two and the big awards uh, the next two days um, announced. I think the Cy Young is actually announced tonight, right? No, Cy Young's tomorrow. Tomorrow night. Cy Young's tomorrow night. MVP would be on Thursday night. <clears throat> so the Cy Young, um, you've got the National League. Uh, the finalists are Corbin Burns, Zach Wheeler, and I'm drawing a blank on the other one. Max Scherzer. Max Scherzer. So, <clears throat> um, and then the American League, you have finalists Robbie Ray, Garrett Cole, and Lance Lynn. So, uh, in my opinion, um, I have I think Corbin Burns will win the National League um, in a very tight race with Zach Wheeler, and I think that Robbie Ray is going to win the American League one. Yeah, I think Robbie Ray is the hands down in the American League. Um, you know, Lance Lynn being in there, I mean, there's really no consideration for him. He's just somebody has to be in there at third. Garrett Cole had a good season, but but Robbie Ray's the you know I think the runaway winner here. Um, and in the national league, I mean, you could really make a case for any one of them of the three. I, I do think that Burns will get it in the, in the long run, but I mean, I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, somebody said Zach Wheeler won it tomorrow or, if, or if somebody, if Zach or, uh, Max Scherzer wins it tomorrow. Like, I don't think either any, any of these three really separated themselves as the guy, but if, I would say if you had to look at one, I would say Burns has the edge just over them. Um, and Wheeler and Scherzer, I think you can flip flop either one of those um, in second or third. They they both had really good seasons. Wheeler kind of struggled a little bit more down the stretch, where Scherzer, you know, once he got to LA, went on a, a big run to kind of bring himself back into the conversation. Um, but I, Burns was just the most consistent all year long and had the record, you know, start to the season, and then um, you know he didn't fall off nearly as much as a guy like Wheeler did, or, or you know have a, as bad of the start of the season as a guy like Scherzer did. So. I, uh, I think Burns will, will win the National League one pretty easily. 
Yeah, I you know I don't disagree with that. I mean, I, I will say that I think that Burns and uh, Wheeler are are pretty far ahead of Scherzer, just because you look at Scherzer's contribution from when he was at L.A. was Cy Young worthy, but when he was in Washington, he wasn't quite as good as as he was in L.A. And he wasn't quite he wasn't as good as the other guys. Plus, I mean, if you talk about a guy with under 180 winnings winning the Cy Young. They better do what Corbin Burns did this year and have a historic season when it comes to the rate stats. So, um, you know, and it's going to be interesting to see who wins this one because you got Zach Wheeler, who's kind of the typical Cy Young winner with the, the high innings count, the low ERA, did a great job preventing runs, but but the, the 213 innings. And you got Corbin Burns, who by rates was by far the best pitcher in baseball this year, but he only pitched 167 innings. So it's going to be interesting to see what kind of what some of the um, voters look at with, with this, but, um, and then, and then the American league, I think, you know, I think Robbie Ray's going to win it pretty easily, even though, I mean, you talk about some of the analytics community is, or, or, and the sabermetric community is not going to love that. Um, I think he's going to win it pretty easily. I mean, he pitched a lot of innings and didn't give up as many runs as everyone else. So <laughs> I think that that's going to put him over the top, but um you look, um, you know, other way around, uh, MVP, um, we have in the National League, we have Bryce Harper, Fernando Tatis Jr., and Juan Soto as our finalists. And in the American League, we have Shohei Otani, Vladimir Guerrero Jr., and Marcus Simeon as finalists. Yeah, in the, in the American League, I mean, I think it's going to be pretty easily be Shohei Otani. Um, there was a, you know, a good portion of the year where it was Vlad versus Otani. Um, I, I just think that, Otani's going to win it because of his contributions on both sides of the of the baseball, you know, being able to pitch the way he pitched this year was a uh, you know, was really big big for him. I mean, even if he had come in and been a guy with like a 4 ERA, um, you know, 4 4 and a half ERA, we wouldn't be talking, you know, about him winning the win the MVP, but you know, he was a a good rotation arm. I think he had a middle 3 ERA. And then what he was able to do offensively, the batting average isn't as high as a guy like Vlad's, but just the impact he had overall, um, you know, just outweighs what Vladimir Guerrero did. Um, and not to take away from Marcus Simeon, who's, you know, I think to a, a distant third to Vlad or Otani, but Simeon had a really great year as well. And it, I think in, in pretty much almost any other year, he'd be, you know, right in strong contention to win the award. Um, but it, he's probably going to finish third this year. And, and looking over at the National League, it, you know, there's going to be the battle between Harper and Soto. Um, Tatis is clearly going to be third just because he, you know, had the, the two shoulder injuries and didn't play the amount of games. Um, if, if he had played a full season, he's probably your MVP. But uh, I think easily it's going to be Bryce Harper over Juan Soto. There, there, there'll be a conversation, but to me, Harper had the better season overall. And, and I just think that, you know, he's going to get that award. Yeah, I don't disagree with you at all. Um, I think at the in the National League, it, for, for, first off, I don't think I can remember a time where none of the finalists for MVP made the playoffs in a season. That was, that was interesting. But, yeah. Um, you know, I think Bryce Harper, when you compare him to Juan Soto, I think the power stands out. You know, both of them had four, you know, four thirty plus on base percentages. Uh, you know, Soto's was a tiny bit higher and both had, you know, high batting averages, which a lot of the community of, of writers and stuff that vote on this, um, you know, are really big on. So, um, you know, Soto had a slight edge there, but I mean, uh, Harper was had a lot more power this year. He only hit six more home runs, which is actually, which is a pretty good bit, but but not a huge amount. But 
um, you know, his slugging percentage, you know, at, at, at 615 was much higher than Soto's 534. And it's and that can be shown in the, the WRC plus at 170 for Harper, which led the majors. Um, you know, and, and defensively, both players are fairly similar. Um, I, you know, Harper, you know, just, I, I mean, at, at the, both players played, you know, Harper played 10 fewer games, or he probably would be, you know, a little bit more, probably up over seven wins above replacement if he had played, you know, the full, you know, if he played 10 more games. So, um, you know, I, I look at um, Tatis as a guy who, you know, 130 games for him. So, big drop off. And I think a lot of Tatis's defensive struggles are going to hurt him some, too. He's he's great hitter, but he really struggled defensively at shortstop this year. So, um and you look at it, and I, I don't really understand why Trey Turner wasn't a finalist over Tatis, but, um, you know, I definitely felt like he could have been up there, especially with his contributions on the base paths, in addition to being a 28-homer guy for a shortstop who played good defense at shortstop and won the batting title. So, um, you know, I thought Trey Turner probably should have been up there. But uh, either way, um, the American League, I, I mean – I think that I, I agree. Shohei Otani is going to win it, and he probably should. Um, he struggled a little bit on the mound to start the season when it came to you know having his control being off, but he really started to kind of find his control coming off his injuries uh, at the end of the season. And he was spectacular in the mound by the end of the year. He ended up with a with three WAR on the mound to go on top of his 5.1 WAR as a hitter, which would put him up over eight, which is higher than anybody else by over a win this year. In, in the entire big leagues. So I definitely like what Shohei Otani did at the plate, 46 home runs, uh, believe led the majors uh, or second in the majors behind Guerrero. Guerrero had a great plate breakout year, but his positional value at first base is a little bit of a struggle. He it's not like he was playing a premium position. He was probably the best hitter uh, out of the AL, uh, the AL contenders, definitely the best hitter by a pretty good margin. I think out of the AL t- contenders and, um, I think he, um, I, I just think that Otani with his contributions to the mound as well was was really solid. And Marcus Simeon was was great offensively and defensively, but he's a little bit of a step behind, uh, definitely behind Otani and probably behind uh, Guerrero as well. So um, very um, very good races here. I, I mean, I like I say, think Bryce Harper wins. Um, and uh, you know, one other thing about Bryce Harper is that his team was at least in in the stretch run in the race and he's really the only reason they were even in it till the end. So that probably helps him some too, where, you know, like a, like a Juan Soto was playing on an absolutely horrible team, uh, you know, down the stretch this year. So, um, you know, that probably, that probably helps, uh, helps, helps Harper for sure. But, um, we'll see what happens. Um, definitely gonna be interesting to see who wins these awards. Yeah, it's definitely going to be interesting to see. Um, you know, I, I think we agreed on all four awards. You know that are, are going to be you know announced in the next couple of days. But um, you know, we're kind of leading up to the award season, and then getting a uh, you know this this off season seems to be moving along pretty quickly. Um, hopefully, that stays up for the next couple of weeks, and then they can figure out what the you know the CBA negotiations, and hopefully, we don't have a stoppage. But uh, you know, it, it seems like we're going to have a pretty active off season before that happens. So, you know, give us a lot to talk about. Um, I know this is going to be a little bit of a longer episode, but thank you guys for, for sticking with us throughout this one. And, uh, you know, we'll go ahead and catch you guys next week. Thanks everybody.